episode 146 above ground podcast with our guest joelle monaco celebrating women's history month we can work it out disclaimer the hosts of this podcast timothy patrick and will foley are by no means medical professionals however having lived experience with mental illness themselves they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis by sharing their stories they hope to create connection By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast. Because you can't serve below. Timmy, isn't there <laughs> a little bit more? There's a little bit more energy out there right now, isn't there? Yes, I, I guess there can be. Sorry. Oh, man. Let me try that again. <laughs> because you can't serve below. There we go. All right. There we go. That's our good old okay. TPP to, to raise our spirits up. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm going for. What's up, man? Everyone, we are back on Zoom, so that means we are here for an interview, and I'm very happy to have our guest with us this morning. She is Joelle Monaco, and she is a consultant, and she has been in the mental health space for many years now, and Joelle and I have met each other a few years ago through different organizations that we both work for and work with. And I'm very happy to have her with us. Joelle, good morning. How are you and what are you working on? Good morning. I'm happy to be with both of you and express some gratitude. So thank you for having me on today's podcast. And thanks for all the listeners tuning in. Um, I hope there's bits and pieces of today's conversation that you'll be able to take away. But I'm enjoying my as we said, espresso. So I've got a little bit more energy. Don't worry, Tim, I'll keep you up. We'll, we'll keep this going. We got it. All right. Woo-hoo. Keeping Timmy on his toes. I like it. I like it. I a like lot. it. It's got to keep Timmy accountable for the energy levels, man. You got to get your lumens up, dude. Got to get them up. Go plug your socket in somewhere. Would you? you know? I know. We're working uh- on it. <laughs> So, Joelle, it's great to see you. It's been a while since we've seen each other. And the last time we saw each other, uh, Tim and I were gearing up for Reverbicon. And Joelle and I had met up to exchange some some information and resources that she was able to share with me from the Mental Health Association of New York State. And uh, I appreciate that very much. So, Joelle, tell us what's going on in the world, in your world now. And I, you've, you're very busy. Uh, I, we're, we're connected on LinkedIn, and I see all the things that you're doing. So give our listeners in the 518 and worldwide a little overview of what's going on. Yeah. So to your point, Will, you know, being in the mental health sphere for quite a few years, um, it's definitely been an evolution uh, over the past two and a half years, right? Global pandemic, social unrest, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, So really, you know, reaching out to community-based you know, organizations, but also workplaces, really getting the conversation started about a people first approach. And how do we do that and really make people feel empowered and supported um, and kind of integrating in well-being, right? Because we know it's in 
all of us, mental health is a part of our everyday life. So how do we really focus on it, embrace it and build it into everything that we do? So to say the least, it's been very busy, uh, but all good busy, right? We know uh, just getting the information out there is sometimes half the battle. So I the opportunities like this, you know, are great to just let people know what's available and how they connect. Excellent. Yeah. I think connect, connection is a, is a big part of this. It's, I think at the base of everything is, is connection. Yeah. Most people, you know, they don't feel connected a lot of times, right? We can become so disconnected in our virtual worlds. Um, now that we're much more virtual, I think, you know, we have to put even more focus on it. Do you think the divide amongst how we think about our mental health, the because of the challenges that we face with that community base, do you think that we do you see positive changes in in the last few years? I, I see I see changes myself, but I see a lot more resistance coming, and it's well, yeah, you know, it's one of these things. I always talk a lot about stigma, right? Um, you know, being an educator by passion, it's like you know, stigma is always out there. And when I talk about stigma, there's really three types of stigma that sometimes prevent ourselves and our communities because there's public stigma, right? There's this negative connotation about mental health and mental illness um, because we fear what we don't know. Then there's self-stigma, right? What will others think of me? Um, because we're always thinking in that perception, not really empowered to be ourselves. And then you have like the institutional stigmas, right? We know there's not parity. Um, so while there's so much conversation going on, and I look at this every day, um, and I'm sure as both of you, every day there's a new organization that's not mental health specific or does not focus on mental illness, talking about the importance. Um, but I think that's the first step, right? Like we can talk about it, but until it's ingrained in our culture, and that takes a lot more work, <laughs> right? Yeah, you're absolutely. Just checking, you're just checking boxes. So, um, that's kind of like my challenge to people is, are you putting it out there to talk about it? Or are you putting it out there to really create change? Because th that's two different things. Yeah. And, I and like actually, it. I like yeah. it already. I like it. And I think that that's a universal question that you actually have to ask yourself when you're involved in any of these organizations or any organization that you're going to start. Are you going to make the world better? Or why are you doing it? And what are you doing it for? And I think all altruism, though, starts with a little bit of self because you got to come to it from I at least from my own personal standpoint I come to this from my own personal just my own personal story just having it in my life the whole time so but not everybody comes to it from that standpoint or are willing to share that standpoint right well right and I it's and you know as we're interviewing this morning it's the day we're getting into Thanksgiving so oh thank you and for being here and and may you have a great Thanksgiving this year and and to your family and everyone around you um and much gratitude for you being here uh we just had Survivor Day yesterday International Survivor of Suicide Loss Day and I we had I had heard a story from a woman who had a loss about 26 years ago, and she had talked about how much stigma there was about nobody wanted to talk about it. And in school, she was they, her son was um, victimized as far as like the suicide itself. And it was there was so much stigma around it that she didn't know what to do for a long time. And it's like we've we've come a ways to open up about stuff, but where do you see us going? Do you see social media as helping or hurting? Do you see us like Tim and I, people like us helping or hurting? 
So my social media piece, everybody who knows me or hears me speak, I talk about compare and despair, right? The compare and despair model. So I feel like, you know, social media can be a great tool. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of times when we're doing it, we get on it, we compare, and then, you know, we never get off feeling hopeful or inspired, you know, and I think it's just this thing of everybody's comparing and you're only seeing what 10% or what somebody wants to show you. And of course, it's going to be all the good stuff. Nobody's going to share all the bad stuff. And if they are, chances are you're probably not following them. Um, so, you know, my whole thing with social media is, you know, you, within moderation, like everything, right? It's just everything we talk about with our health and wellness, it's in moderation. I think really where the strength comes in are podcasts like this, right? People having honest, truthful conversations and getting into some of the sticky stuff that might be uncomfortable um, because there is no change without uncomfortability. Um, you know, as a consultant, change management is not fun, right? Nobody wants to change. Change is hard. Change takes time. But until you get into the weeds of it and you start feeling uncomfortable, you can't really change as a person, right? And we know as we're trying to challenge ourselves and grow as individuals, it's uncomfortable because chances are you found that you were wrong on something and then you go and find out more information. And I think, you know, as mental health and mental illness in a, in a whole, um, where we were when I started making calls, probably what, not nearly 15 years ago, people wouldn't even answer the phone. <laughs> Like I would leave a message. They wouldn't even call me back. They wouldn't even answer. And now, you know, I'm hopeful because when I go out into the community and I'm talking, uh, people actually know me and will make reference to my work in the behavioral health sector or in the mental health sector or in the workforce sector and actually start a conversation with me. And it's I can see that change while it's slow, right? Um, it's definitely not fast, but what really happens fast anyways, you know, when you compare it to construction on the highway, everything's a little bit slow, um, especially in upstate New York, <laughs> but we're getting there. And I think, you know, we also talked, uh, well, you and I have talked about this about rural, right? We know there's certain populations, there's certain sectors, but then we also have to bring in like uh, cultural awareness, right? We know certain cultures, generations, we have over five generations, right? Like we have five generations in the workforce. We've got a lot of different acceptance, um, but I think younger generations are definitely bringing the topic up and, you know, older generations are going to be a little uncomfortable, but with uncomfortability is community growth. You actually kind of brought up a really good topic because you kind of segued into something I hadn't thought about that many people who listen to the show might be going through now because we just come through this pandemic. And now as people are going back to the office, my office and I work for a not-for-profit and we've had classes about certain things that we have to do and certain team building things. And I love those things. But what I don't like about those things is that we never implement what we've learned and nobody wants to talk about the sticky stuff. So I wanted to know as a consultant, how have you seen the mental health of people going back to the office when we're even more compartmentalized because you've got workforces that aren't all coming back to the office. Only certain people do because you have this, this, this disconnect between hourlies and salaries and just different things. I'm just curious to know how you, how you've seen that since the pandemic starting to end. 
this is my favorite topic. Well, um, I could talk about this for days, but this is really like where my passion lies because um, an organizational development is really about relationship building, right? Building relationships to support operations. And that could be in a workforce, it could be in a community, it's really anywhere. But when we think about the workplace and specific to mental health, right, we know um, majority of adults spend at least a third of their work, a third of their life, excuse me, in the workplace. So a third of your life, we don't leave our baggage at the door, right? Like our life is integrated in everything we do. And now we've kind of been displaced, right? For two and a half years, two years, wherever we are in this uh, time frame, <laughs> whenever you left the workforce or whenever you started working virtually. And, you know, I think businesses are doing trying to do right by, you know, focusing on this team building piece. But to your point, to what avenue are they really willing to get into it? Is it a, and you know, when I talk about workplace well-being, there's these fluffy check boxes we can do. And sometimes team building is a fluffy checkbox. Whereas I'll go in and I'll dig a deep, a little bit deeper. I'll say, okay, well, let's do some relationship building. Like, let's find similarities and differences and let's talk about them because for lack thereof, everybody experienced a traumatic event, right? Over the last two years, how people have managed to navigate it, because we know trauma is perceived by the person. That's going to change their ability and willingness to work collaboratively, maybe with other team members or maybe amongst this work environment that's now going to be forever changed. Um, and there might be some resentment. And there might be a lot of people that, quite frankly, feel like no one in the workplace cared about them for the last two, two and a half years or beyond that, right? Because most people don't feel like anybody in the workplace cares about them. Um, so there's a lot of work to do. And I, a lot of times work with managers and becoming leaders because there's two different things, right? Managers put in place because they're good at a task, not because they want to or know how to lead people. So businesses now really have to step up and say, all right, our employees are our most valuable asset, people first who and what do we need to invest in so they feel supported, encouraged, and inspired in the workplace so that they can take care of their whole health. And we're not just doing it as, hey, here's a team building exercise. Let's go to a picnic, right? Which is great for the moment, but it doesn't, again, it doesn't really inspire anything. Yeah, I think, I I think she needs to take a, I think she needs to take a trip to my work. All right. Call me <laughs> well, anytime. Your work. <laughs> I got a quick question on that because you just from what you just said just now, um, when you do go into these places or, or when you do have these conversations with uh, managers or whatever you want to consider them to be, do you face much, much resistance? Do you have to jump through a lot of hoops to try and get this um, practice into play? Well, it's interesting. So there's, you know, um, when we talk about change management, it was a, it was a mentor of mine for a long time. I just thought like what I was doing was community education and they really brought it in. They're like, no, you're doing change management. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I am doing change management. And there's a particular science about change management within organizations, but I also look at it community-based, right? Because like I said, any change is going to be hard. And when you come in, and you look at, okay, what is, what's holding us back and where do we want to be, right? Because that's a positive approach about, like, what is really holding us back and where do we want to be? There's going to be people that are going to drag their feet and they're going to be the naysayers. They're going to poke a hole in everything you have. Um, and then they're going to be forward thinking people that are ready to move forward. And so it's, I always call it a gentle balance of 
where is this organization in the readiness? Because that's a big thing. Like they may think they're 10 years ahead of where they really are. So it's going to be incremental and you kind of have to gauge the temperature in the room and really see what are those deliverables and what is reasonable. I mean, we know, right, we can make these lofty goals. And then when we don't achieve them, there's just disappointment and let down. Um, but I think in anything, you know, community change or business change, there's always going to be naysayers. Not everybody's going to be on board because uh, usually it's a small group of people trying to create change. Um, and you just have to balance that. But that's the benefit of having an outside consultant come in. Right. It's not there's not that internal um, give and pull and, you know, um, battle of like positions. I always feel like, you know, there's like if somebody has more senior level, they're going to speak more. Um, if they were facilitating the conversation, whereas somebody from the outside is kind of guiding a conversation. And that's really where I see it is I'm kind of the con uh, the, you know, train conductor, like leading the conversation, um, making sure everybody's involved, because I think that is important because, you know, even though you have people poking holes in it and might not be bought in, the goal is that they still come along for the ride with us. So long winded answer, I guess. I hope that helped him. It totally did. Yeah, I, it did. I, I, it kind of brought me on to another thing. Um, does that, do you ever deal with, I, I, which Will had mentioned, I guess you do, but I, I, I'm kind of ignorant on the, what exactly you do and where you go, but, um, do you ever do this kind of situation into the, uh, education system? Do you go into schools and try and help, you know, maybe get some programs in place? So in my work, um, I do, I'm the director of outreach and business engagement for the Mental Health Association of New York State, um, too, and I've been there for quite a while, and they have an entire program where they go into schools, um, and they educate leaders and, you know, um, educators to really understand what is mental health and how do we integrate it. Um, of course, they don't go as deep as cultivating change management, but there are tons of organizations in the 518, but also across, I mean, the world now getting into this work because I think it is really important. We know the science behind early education and intervention is key um, in anything, but more specifically in mental health um, and mental illness. So I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity if people need resources, they can certainly connect with me and I'm more than happy to um, point them in the right direction. Now that you've, you've kind of opened up the door to the next thing, because there's been recently, uh, as we know, school boards, school board events now have become these hotbeds for whatever you feel like taking out on whoever you feel like taking it out on. And recently we've had some issues. Uh, it, something happened recently here in New York state out in Rochester, where an insensitive teacher made a comment about a suicide of a student that happened in June. Uh, Cause I, I, for whatever reason in the article that I had referenced, I, I didn't really see much about what the real story was about, but recently in Texas, I guess there was a thing about somebody had come to a school board and I will never give her name because she doesn't deserve the respect that the respect of that, because not on my, not, not where I'm coming from anyway. And, um, she decided that, you know, $90,000 was too much a year to pay counselors to talk about suicide. And it's like, okay, is it, is that stigma or is it just ignorance and indifference to anybody or do we have a deeper problem of of 
us not being able to look at ourselves and say, okay, we've got these things. We've got to, because we keep sweeping things under the rug. How do we stop sweeping things under the rug and let it punch somebody in the face? See all the above. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing. And, you know, and it's to your point, when you look at it, like a counselor in a school, I even say counselors in work in workplace, like both ends, like they need to be there. And, you know, I look at it almost as, is there something as far as that individual's personal development, or is there something behind the scenes that they're just holding back, you know, and a lot of times it's prejudice, it's stereotyping, it's discrimination because you're basically saying people who need services, we're not going to do it. And for so long, we've undervalued mental health professionals, right? We've undervalued their education, what the work they go through. We undervalue how they get paid, the time that they spend doing this, but not only that. So all of that's one bubble, but then they handle a lot of really heavy stuff, right? They deal with a lot of tough decisions, a lot of things. So them taking care of their own well-being is really important. And I don't, you know, we've undervalued this whole community of workforce to really keep a big part of our community moving along because we know statistics show one in five on the low avenue that actually seek treatment. There's so many more individuals. And, you know, when you're thinking of, well, let's be proactive. Let's, we've heard people need these resources. They need these tools. Let's put them where they can readily and they're accessible. And we're ensuring, you know, equity and parity and making it available. And then you have someone saying like, that's too much. You know, I, I I can't help but to say, is that a personal deficit, (laughs) right? Like, uh, you know, I'm so hopeful uh, for podcasts and things and conversations and people like you and Tim that are having these. So it doesn't have to take generations because it's already taken generations and look where we are. And this, you know, kind of gets me into uh, a statement. I always say we've been reactive for a really long time and look where it's gotten us. So proactive, you have, you have to be proactive. Like yeah, response, you- response is not reaction. Rea- response and- is different than reaction. And that's all we've done, right? Our model is built in responsiveness, which costs more money, takes more time and puts more pressure on the community. So for me, being in the business world, I'm always looking at cost benefit. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. You know, and when I think about, you know, putting mental health professionals in the workplace, in school environments and community-based organizations, I look at that as a cost initiative, a cost controller. I'm like, you are preventing things from elevating to a crisis. You're connecting people with the re- credible resources. Let's be honest, because we know there are a lot of resources out there that are not credible. Um, because Absolutely. when we're talking about mental health, it is kind of a I hate to say like hip thing to say you're in that industry, but what credentials do you have? Um, And to your point, well, right. We have so many wonderful professionals, caring people that go into these fields, um, despite that social stigma and that institutional stigma, when they go to school and they're like, Oh, you don't want to go into the mental health field. And people are almost persuaded out of it. They get into it. And to your point, they can't sustain it because they're underpaid and undervalued. And then again, we end up with the reactive model, right? Like, and it doesn't save us time or energy. And let's be honest, it doesn't do people any good. 
I think it does more damage, to be honest with you, in the long run. Listen, I was just pulling up a book. I got, I'm going to wrap this up for us. So to Tim's <laughs> point, there's actually a book I read. It was about a month ago. It's called Broadcasting Happiness. It's a, um, a news anchor from CBS. Uh, she wrote this book and she actually looks into research and she's working on this because of that exact point you pointed out, Tim. We glorify negative news. Like every, I don't even, I have to really manage what information I take in, which is why I'm not on social media personally. Professionally, yes, I am because it's part of my business. But personally, I know my personal boundaries and I can't manage all of it. I just can't like, and it's not good for my well-being. So I have to opt out. And I did that about, I think, six or seven years ago. I was like, you know what? This isn't doing me any good. No, thanks. Um, But the whole book and a lot of the research shows that, um, you know, and there was a study in this where she challenged herself to make sure the news stories were positive um, because of how that impacts the listeners and the people watching. But then that also changed the perception, right? Because we know our perception changes based on what we hear, see, whether we believe it or not, right? Because we're we're pretty easily influenced for lack thereof, even if we think we're not. Um, But Really, there's a now an entire model and study that she uses focusing on positive psychology and really creating happiness and challenges other news anchors to do this and not make all of the stories on, you know, doom and gloom, right? Because there's so much good stuff happening in our communities. But when you watch the news, what is it? It's 90% negative. And I think this connects to the social stigma associated with mental health, because what we know and what most people, majority of Americans know about mental illness and mental health is what they see in movies, read in books, see in magazines or in tabloids, which it glorifies a negative connotation of mental illness, especially, um, which as a community educator is 90% of what I try to overcome. Most of the time I'm educating people that what you see in a movie or what you hear in a news story is only half the story. Sometimes you have to dig a little bit deeper, right? You have to educate yourself. I'm one that you know, I always get, and people are always like, oh, I never thought about it. You know, when you talk about psychosis, right? It's a condition. It's not a diagnosis. It's a condition. Um, it, it happens for a variety of health impacts, right? Most often when we talk about psychosis, what do people's minds jump to? Mental illness, right? They don't even realize that it's not a diagnosis, but psychosis is just as prevalent with Lyme disease, childbirth, high fevers, diabetes, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, things like that. So when I go on, I can list more physical diagnoses that associate with psychosis than I can mental illness. But because of the way we've projected it and put it out to the communities, the way they digested it, and that's the way, that's their perception, right? So I think we also have to hold ourselves accountable for what we put out there and make sure it's credible, it's credited, it has some validity, because I think tying back to Will's point, it really impacts the parity and the availability to reliable resources, because our community doesn't value mental health services, right? Our billable services, our insurance companies, the way our whole system works does not value. We know a clinician cannot charge as much as a deductible as your primary care physician, 
but they're doing equal amount of work. We know in a lot of insurance companies don't cover the work that licensed mental health counselors provide, but they're integral as a preventative model in the mental health field in our communities. So why is it? And like, you know, again, it's a systemic, <laughs> it's a systemic issue that we have to dig really deep because there are communities, um, you know, within New York and across the world that are being impacted quite severely, right? Um, and we know there's a lot of other stigmas that go into it, but you know, if you don't have access because it's not readily made available to you because there's this societal stigma, and then you pack on top of that, you know, familial or culture stigma of reaching out and we'll talk to them on Chismo, right? Like there's a lot of cultures. We already have enough going against us. Let's not put something out else out there where someone in our community can think less of our family. Um, or, you know, I a lot of times work in fields where, you know, uh, these are providers, these are strong individuals. So, you know, them reaching out for help and then personal stigma, when you combine that, you know, those three levels, we wonder why people aren't reaching out, right? We wonder where this, you know, if we really want to move to this preventive model, we've got to start to unpack all these pieces, which, you know, Will, you asked me before, do you think this is going to happen, you know, pretty soon? There's a lot to unpack, right? There's a lot to unpack. And if we think about change management, it takes time, but it also takes people being aware and recognizing this and kind of going back to the article, you know, Will point out a lot of people aren't there. They don't recognize it. Not in, you know, I'd like to hope best of them. I a lot of times say they just haven't taken enough trainings yet to realize the impact that it can have, right? I mean, I'm an educator. I'm always pushing my, my classes. Come on. Oh, come we're on gonna cover, well, we're going to cover that in a second. <laughs> let's learn some more, right? Um, so I like to give them uh, the hope and opportunity to learn more and educate themselves um, because then that way, what they're putting out there is factual and realistic. How we met was through mental health first aid training. And I will say this, and I've said this on past episodes of the podcast, that hands down, the best training available for anybody to understand what mental health and mental illness are and what to look for. And you want to talk about a stigma-breaking education. It is the best eight hours I spent all of 2020, because I think it was just before lockdown that we did the class in Clifton Park. And um, I, and, and Joelle is actually a certified trainer. Uh, she does train She is one of the hosts of the trainings that are done here in New York state. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen it on the website if they're doing mental health first aid again yet. I know that there's been some other online trainings that Mahaney's as we call them in, in the mental health here in New York state. Um, I don't, I've seen other classes up, but I haven't seen any mental health first aid trainings, but the best training ever. And we talked about psychosis and there's actually an exercise that we did during that training um, where I'll let Joel kind of talk a little bit about it. Yeah. So mental health first aid, I'm so thankful um, for the opportunity to be a trainer. Um, I've been a trainer now for going on, I think six years and every day I learn something new. So every day class is just as exciting because I learn as much from my participants as they learn from the curriculum. But one of the things I like about this curriculum is it provides practical application and community grandparents all the way to clinicians can take this class. There's no entry level pre, you know, pre-knowledge, 
So the gamut of who a participant is ranges every day, which makes my life super exciting because I get to see all these different perspectives. And, you know, to Tim's point, we really get to have those uncomfortable, challenging conversations where people are like, well, I didn't know that. And I'm like, well, where did you hear it? Right. And we can unpack it and we create what I like to call a psychologically safe space where people can ask questions. There's no wrong answer. There's no wrong questions. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, there's no wrong questions because we want people to actually be open and have these conversations so that they can feel empowered. If it, in a situation, they can either um, correct a stigma, they can correct misinformation that they might be hearing or hear other people saying, or they can help someone in need, whether it be crisis or not. So this curriculum has been around for a really long time. It actually is based out of Australia. And now it's taught all over the world, over 23 countries at this point. Um, and, you know, the courses given the last two years, um, yes, Will was in my last in-person course. Like, I believe the shutdown was like literally two weeks after. So stay tuned, 2022, hopefully we'll be back in person. Um, but we are doing virtual classes. Um, one of the things um, that you know, all blessing, right? You have to look at silver linings of every situation. Um, given global pandemic, mental health first aid has gone virtual. So now we are doing virtual classes, um, but they're a little bit more operationally challenging. So we're doing them with smaller groups and there are a lot for organizations, um, but we've had a lot of nonprofit organizations come together and provide it as a community-based training because there is you know, we're giving factual information, but we're also tying it to practical health. We're not making it complicated, right? A lot of times we like to overcomplicate things. So people are then like, what am I supposed to do? I compare it to, you know, your standard CPR you take with Red Cross. Mental health first aid is exactly the same thing, but for behavioral health and mental health. And, um, you know, to Will's point, uh, you know, you got your certified peer specialist for credentials. And a lot of times we have a lot of people going around saying, oh yeah, I can help. I can be of a resource. And I empower everyone to always check. Not that people are, you know, trying to be deceitful, but they might be trying to help and just not realize that they don't have the credentials to be supportive and could potentially cause more harm or more damage than good. Um, but if you take a mental health first aid, you actually get a certification. You become a mental health first aider for three years um, and you have a certificate. So, you know, if you are in a certain profession, sometimes this can count for your continuing ed, or if you're in the community, this is a tool that you can really elevate your community and be supportive and connect people with you know, professionals or self-help support strategies, as we call them in the class, to help themselves, because we know that's half of, you know, the challenge too. So if you're interested, I know um, Will and Tim will have my contact information. You can always reach out to me. And if, you know, if I can't be the connector, um, because this is taught across the U.S., I'll get you in touch with somebody who can help, um, because I think the program just provides that much help and resources to individuals, but communities and workplaces. I'll put that plug out there. What an incredible class. And we, we did an exercise about uh, schizophrenia and what that exercise was, was someone would stand in the middle of two people and one person would speak into their ear on one side and the other person would speak to them directly. And it's supposed to mimic what psychosis really is for someone who is, who is having um, auditory psychosis. Is that experiencing auditory hallucination hallucination okay and um it was it was mind altering because you don't realize that wow anybody could be 
facing that. And we have so many people walking around that, that are on, that may be walking around like that, that we just don't know. And it, you know, the, one of my favorite parts about that activity is we simulate auditory hallucination to really identify and understand more about what it is. So people aren't fearful, but what comes out of that activity the most is the amount of empathy that people develop where, you know, before they were, they might be fearful if they saw somebody experiencing an auditory hallucination, where after the course, they're more empathetic to say, wow, this person is managing a lot just to be able to get out of their house and get to work or get to an appointment. What can I do to better support them as a community member and support them as an individual, whether the auditory hallucination is based on, you know, a mental health crisis or a mental health illness that they may be managing rather well, you know, this might just be a part of their everyday life, like diabetes is right. Because it's not something that I see typically doesn't mean it's something I have to fear. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that really challenges all of those things that we see in the media or that we've learned from hearsay and kind of flips it on its head and puts people in that uncomfortable situation where they're like, all right, I've got to open my eyes. I've got to be more inclusive. I have to be more involved and connecting people. You just actually gave me an insight that I didn't realize that I was actually adding to stigma because you said something that really got, because I did not know that diabetes and some of those other things would lead to psychosis. And you gave me an insight into even my mother a little bit more that because of her severe mental illness, which she has, but she also has unregulated diabetes and she goes into psychosis a lot. But I, when I see someone on the street, I automatically think it's a mental health challenge. And I don't know if it's because of, I'm just, that's how I think because I'm just hyper-focused on that. Or if it's just because that's how I've always thought, thank you for that. That was, you're not alone. I think a lot of people think that way. Right. And then, you know, we overlook it and say, Oh, that person's experiencing, you know, they have some mental health challenge. Um, we may not even assume they're in a crisis, but on the off chance, you know, this is where really as mental health crusaders, it's up to us to engage in conversations and say, you know, my name's Joel, are, how are you doing? Are you okay? Because they might be in a medical crisis. You know, when we talk about diabetes, if they're experiencing an episode of psychosis from diabetes, it could be because their blood sugar is really high or really low and they need medical attention. But because stigma is kind of influenced in our culture, we don't want to get involved, right? We say, I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to keep going because it's probably what it is. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, you don't need to know what it is. You just need to be, you know, an upstanding citizens to say, are you okay? Do you need anything? Um, and if not, you've done, you know, you've really helped a little bit, if not, so they don't feel so alone. That's a, that's a great point. You know, you just have to try and get rid of your judgment and assumptions, you know, and, and as you said, just, Hey, is everything okay? You know, I know. Tim, do you have anything that you want to ask Joel before we start wrapping it up with our lightning round? I don't, I just appreciate, appreciate her being here. I think this was a excellent conversation and, um, you know, appreciate the work that she does. Yeah. As do I, as do I. And I appreciate all the, all the footwork that you put into it because you were more than willing to come meet me at my office and drop stuff off. And I appreciate that so much because I would have met you anywhere to, to get it just because. Um, so we always finish up the podcast with three questions and we're going to start. Let's go to Timmy. She looks like she's ready. Well, she is. She I am. Knew I'm the so questions. excited for this part. I, I'm really, so excited. I've understood now that I have to get better at telling people what the questions are because some people 
get dumbfounded and I get it because some people just can't react that fast in, yeah. in their face. So, so Joel, do you have a favorite or least favorite word? I do. And my least favorite word, I'm going with that because of the conversation today. And I want people to be more aware of the choices, word selection. I despise strongly the word normal. What is normal? Like, stop using it. There is no such thing as normal. You can use typical, just don't use normal. Um, and I think, you know, especially when we're talking about mental health and mental illness, like, you know, people always say, well, that's not normal. Well, what is normal? Like what's normal for me and you is going to be entirely different. So, you know, in that context, get rid of the word normal, just use typical or, you know, find something else. I just normal, you know, <laughs> just gets me Excellent. going. Excellent. Well, your least favorite word or what's your favorite oh. word then favorite since word? you don't since you had since you only gave us a least favorite what's your favorite do you have a favorite i don't know i guess my favorite word what do i use a lot i have a whole bunch of isms like i make up some of my own words so i don't even know if they're real um as do i <laughs> and i always say what a, like when i'm giving an analogy i always say it backwards like you know those uh old wise tales or sayings i always say them backwards i'll be like do you have all your hens and don't put all your hens in your basket and i'm like oh they're eggs whatever they are um so favorite i don't know oh, can i give you can, can i give you a favorite word because this is what i <laughs> this is what i get from you and this is what i've gotten from you since our first interaction and that's the word empowerment yeah. Because because you're there to educate people, you're there to pass on the information, but you're also there to lend the ear, but you're also there to to direct people. So I'll give you the empowerment star of the week because you <laughs> you, you, you help people like us every day. So it's awesome. So I thank just gave you the double you. snap. Um, but yeah, that is a good. I like it because it's not. I don't want to tell people what to do. I want them to do it and feel like yeah, I can do this right. That's all we want to do. That's what we're here to do because nobody, nobody can tell me what to do until I'm ready to do it. And that's what people need to understand. That's all. So now on to the next question, which is, I kind of changed this since we started because pets are very important to people and pets are important to me. And I have a pet and we love our pets, but do you have a pet or a spirit animal or both? So I don't have pets. Okay. Um, I have plants um you know a lot of times i'm out and about so i find it difficult to just get myself out of the door on time so you know animals i don't have one but i never knew what my spirit animal was until well you sent this over and like i told you and tim i'm a type a person so i was like i don't even know what mine is so of course i went and did a survey and I am proud to announce my spirit animal is a turtle. And at first I was like, oh man, like a turtle, you know, I don't know. But it's actually interesting. There's a sentence I'm going to read and it says, uh, those who have a turtle as a spirit animal may be encouraged to take a break in their busy lives and look around them and within themselves for more grounding and long lasting solutions, which when I stop to think about it, I'm always going really fast, but as much as I'm an extrovert, I'm also an introvert. So I take that time quite regularly. If people know me after like a big training, like the next day or that night, like I'm not talking to anybody. I 
throw my phone out the door and I just kind of like relax, sit back, take it all in and process it. So while I never knew I had a spirit animal, now I'm totally connected with the turtle. So that's it. Thank you to the both of you for bringing it out. That's awesome because turtles are very like spiritually, like they're super, there's a lot of things about turtles. I've heard a lot of things about turtles. Sounds like they know a lot about self self care. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I was like, kudos to the turtles. I might have to do a training on this now. Like, (laughs) I like it. Enlightening the world. One step at it. One word at a time. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome though. (laughs) That's awesome. So if there was something that you could do or that you would like to see done to mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? It's easy for me, universal access to services. Um, We talked about it, you know, a lot of times, um, co-pays, finance, accessibility, being able to get to an appointment, having a trained professional in your community, a lot of people don't have that. So I think, you know, universal access to mental health services, but also accessibility. Um, Because I think to a lot of the points we talked about that would, you know, ensure parity and equity while helping to reduce the stigma, because if I have access to go see a mental health professional, just like I do if I broke my arm, right? That we're gonna reduce the stigma, people are gonna be more likely, and hopefully we can move more to that proactive pro- approach than the reactive approach. So money and you know logistics weren't, and you know societal stigma, it'd be universal access to mental health services. Wow. Excellent. Thank you so much, Joelle, for spending part of your Sunday morning with us. It was awesome to have you here. It was great. Truly my pleasure. Um, like I said, I cannot thank you. This was, you know, fun conversation for me, but also enlightening. So I have a whole bunch of, you know, ideas running and, but thank you most of all to the listeners, right. Um, spending your time logging on learning more so that you can be empowered. Now I'm going to have to trade out the word. I don't think I can, but I'm gonna have to like come up with some swag now. Will uh, <laughs> I'll credit you and Tim. It'll be like, awesome. we'll do, I'll do, we, we'll do an ad. We can do an ad. I would love empower- to have you back on. It'd be, it'd be the empowerment turtle. We'll have a little stuffed animal. You know, now listen, I'm going to come up with, I'm going to have to get a whole line of swag on my website. Like we're going to add a new page. <laughs> Right? There we go. Let's us. do it. Let's do it. Stick with us. We'll 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 do it. He can be a stigma stomping turtle. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's got the shell Will, already. He's got the helmet. Well, I wanted to. I just wanted to say that we just had um, one of a one of the greatest not so normal conversations. Absolutely, man. And this is what we've been blessed to be like. This is what is this is what is turning into. It's awesome. Every conversation has been awesome. And I we get to meet cool people all the time. Like Joel is one of the coolest people that I've met so far throughout all this. And I've met a lot of people through the mental health in, in the mental health space in recent years. And it's it's incredible. The community that is here and it's kind of much like our music community because now that i'm more now that five you know as far as the 518 goes with us being on nipper town and being more involved in nipper town i'm getting out again and going to more shows and feeling like i'm where i've always been anyway it's just now that i'm back out in it and it feels good to be part of a community and getting back out there joelle thank you so much for your time for your work your energy and your spirit oh go turtles go turtles <laughs> 
Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, Timmy. Until next week, be well. Be safe. Be a, a bug. bug.